Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Tuesday, November 15th. This is episode number 173. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how are things going? Hey, Rod. Well, you know, just unfortunately having another sense of deja vu all over again. Yeah, with the yeah, with the Browns. Um, yeah, it was not a fun game to watch on Sunday. So no, uh, no not at all. But we'll try but to have a little try bit to of, digest it. We're gonna try, and uh, we'll try well, to have a little bit to. of fun, uh, <laughs> and even you know, even uh, after those results. Uh, joining us tonight is is our guest Vince Guerreri. Um, follow Vince at Vince Guerreri. And uh, maybe I should spell your last name, Vince. G-U-E-R-R-I-E-R-I. So people can give you a follow there. Um, You're a journalist and an author. And we're going to talk about your new book tonight. So uh, in addition to some brown. So so how are you, Vince? And we appreciate you joining us. I am uh, just uh, excited to be here. I am excited. I'm all right. I'm basking in the glow of of uh, being a published author once again. Uh, this is actually my third book. I, I co-wrote my first book and uh, wrote one more before this one, uh, Weird Moments in Cleveland Sports, published by uh, Gray Publishing here in Cleveland. And um, the official uh, release was uh, actually two weeks ago, so we're ramping up uh, my full media blitz. Uh, book signings, uh, book talks, and uh, obviously uh, podcast appearances. Yeah, I was looking, and and you have, and you're doing, you have a lot of book signings scheduled. Well, obviously, I mean, you know, you want people to uh, you want people to buy them uh, before the um, for Christmas presents. Yeah, so yeah, great timing. Um, and I was trying to say what, um, I didn't write it down, but do you have, do you have a, uh, a link or, or can people just go to your Twitter to, for a list of those signings? Is that the easiest way to, for people to find those dates? Uh, I actually have, uh, uh, there's a link on the gray publishing page for author events. And, uh, you know, that can kind of be broken out by author. Um, I, I do in fact have, uh, I don't think it's my pin tweet, but it is, uh, on, on my, uh, social media profile of all the, the places that I am, um, that I'm going to be, but I can run down a couple real fast. This Saturday, I'm going to be at Books of Maine in Fairview Park, uh, Saturday, the third Barnes and Noble in Youngstown, Saturday, the 10th, uh, Barnes and Noble in Metter, Friday, the 16th, Visible Voice in Tremont. Excellent. Uh, gives people uh, chances to uh, go out and meet you and get a copy of the book and uh, or a signed copy of the book, um, not just a copy of the book. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, very cool. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, to get a uh, a copy of this and um, take a look at it. Um, you know, you and I really just uh, set this up, so I had a, a chance to read through some of this today. So I haven't read the whole book, but um, but you know, I, I read a pretty good portion. I was kind of surprised how much of it I got through, and it's you know, I I thought it's very uh, um, the, the way it's written is very 
it, it's very easy to read the way you have it broken down and and sectioned out. Um, you know, you can just go through these go through these moments and um, and for me, I, I would read one and and then it just kind of leads you to the next one, and you just kind of keep going. So, um, but it was just it, it's fun for me, and I know pe- you know people are going to see this, and some of these moments are like, eh, you know, that's really might not be fun to re- to remember or something. But then you read it and you start thinking about some of the names involved and things like this, and it it does take you back. And just looking at the details again, it, it's really cool. So, and it, it's a part of it's a part of Cleveland's history. It, it's pretty much what we are as a sports town. Let's let's face it. So um, we are a bunch of weird moments. No wonder we have a complex. It, well, I mean, <laughs> you got to be realistic. Uh, aside from the Cavs championship, you know, what have most of us had in our lifetime? Right, um, and I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where you say, you know. Is, is Cleveland really any more different than any other sports town? I mean, you know, just like uh, the old line about uh, war is that it's a, uh, um, I mean, it's a cumulative statistic. And, and I mean, is this all just a function of having, you know, baseball in town since the 1800s, uh, having a football team for, for the better part of the last 75 years and having a basketball team that's, you know, over 50 years old. But I mean, you know, when you drill down, I, some of it is just like abnormally strange. I mean, you know, uh, the the Cleveland Spiders were the worst baseball team in baseball history. Uh, obviously, we all remember the Browns a few years ago. They had uh, a 17 game losing streak, snapped that, and then went on another 17 game losing streak, which is also unprecedented. And I mean, you know, after that, uh, the the misery of the of the Cavaliers can be almost pedestrian by comparison. Yeah, yeah. Sort of so makes you long for Ted Stepien, doesn't it? No, no, it does not. That is, uh, that is <laughs> there's one some of the Ted talk that, in the book. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really, really learned, and and it's really kind of kind of amazing. Uh, he was he was a minority owner in the Indians in the early seventies. And I feel like that's because they were just looking for people whose checks would clear. Right. But he yeah. ended up buying the uh, buying the Cavs in the late 70s. Uh, and he made uh, many, many terrible moves. And it wasn't just limited to basketball either. One of the things I talk about in this book, and I had actually written about uh, earlier this year for Cleveland Magazine, was the softball team that he owned and how – they participated in a stunt uh, in 1938. Um, the, the, there were a couple of uh, Indians players who went up to the top of the terminal tower and threw baseballs down. And there were a couple of Indians players at the bottom and they caught. Uh, and they caught balls there. And that that supplanted the Washington Monument as the tallest building uh, that that baseballs were thrown off of and caught. They wanted to. Uh, duplicate that in 1980 for the 50th anniversary of the Terminal Tower, and they asked the Indians, and the Indians said no. And Ted <laughs> Stepien says, "Oh yeah, I'll do it," and because he owned a professional slow pitch softball team, so they go up one day during lunch hour, during a weekday, and uh, Stepien starts throwing softballs down, and I guess one of them hit the sidewalk and bounced like 10 feet in the air. One of them dented the roof of a car. One of them broke some woman's uh, forearm, and then finally one of uh, one of his players caught one and, and everybody says, all right, we've we've done enough damage for today. 
So yeah, he's you made know, many, many terrible moves. When when a league has to name a rule, a draft rule, after your owner that prevents teams from being stupid, you really got something. You really do. And and that was uh, preceded by, you know, he was making he was making lots and lots of 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 trades, and he was making lots and lots of bad trades. The Stepien rule is that a an NBA team cannot trade first round its first round draft picks in back to back years, and and what Ted Stepien was doing is he was dealing all of these draft picks, and some of them he was and some of these players he was selling to make payroll, and some of these draft picks he was trading because he just wanted to, um, you know, make make these moves, and and one of them. You know, one one of them ended up getting uh, traded to to the the Lakers, and it was you know what we would now call an unprotected pick. Uh, it ended up being the first overall pick. The Lakers used it to draft James Worthy, but uh, it got so bad that um, the NBA commissioner said uh, Ted Stepien can't make any trades without league approval. Right, and that kind of spun into the. Um, spun into the Stepien rule and and he sold the team to the Gun Brothers and they actually had to buy draft picks back so they could, you know, participate in NBA draft because, you know, it was one of those situations. The NBA in in total was uh was still very much kind of a fly by night league into the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, they, they, it was one of those circumstances where one bad team could drag everybody down and they didn't want the Cavs to be that bad team. So they were able to kind of, um, you know, get back into the mix and, and they had, and they got Lenny Wilkins and they got, uh, um, and they got Wayne Embry and, and they were able to put together a really good team in the late eighties and, and into the early nineties. Yeah. But it took years to overcome step ins follies yes yes it really did and it just goes to show you you know for the fans out there um you know you you think things are horrible now with the browns but all you gotta do is read a little bit of cleveland history you haven't you haven't seen anything (laughs) compared to what went on back in the day well i mean one of the things it's actually kind of funny because i i think you guys are about my age so you remember the the good old days at Indians games at Cleveland stadium when it was, you know, us and 2,500 of our closest friends. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you know, or so. it, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> give or take. And because the Indians for, for a long, long time, I mean, like, you know, they won 111 games and won the pennant in 1954. And then they moved to, uh, Jacobs field 40 years later won the division, went to a World Series in 1995. And, and in between, it was bleak. I mean, it was, yeah. it was one of those circumstances yeah. where things were not good for a long, long time. And, of course, the irony is now that the uh, Guardians are probably the best-run organization in the city. And for the last 20 years, the uh, Browns have been markedly unable to get out of their own way. Right. Yeah. But that's what I enjoyed about the book is that even when I got to uh, a section, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. You know, I would read through it and you still had details in there. And I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't know that. And that's, you know, one of those things. I mean, I remember a lot of these things as they happen, but there are details that there are um, 
that were completely lost to history for me. Um, the, that I, I did not realize that, uh, that 15 to 14 Sunday night game on ESPN in 2001, where the Indians came back and beat the Mariners. I did not realize that the winning pitcher for that game was a fairly recent acquisition. Uh, their closer, John Rocker. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and that's one of those guys that, I mean, you know, he was, I mean, at the time, I don't know about you guys, but I thought, hey, this isn't going to work out well at all. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and boy, sure enough, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. One of those rare nights where John Rocker actually could find home plate. Uh, yes, yes, that was, uh, actually, and, and what was amazing is he was one of those guys who, until he came to Cleveland was pretty much automatic as a reliever, yeah. as, as a he closer. Out. And, and then, you know, he just kind of fell apart. Kind of fell yeah. apart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at least he made up for it by being really, really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bad shit. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, we are uh, uh, courtesy of your of your publisher events. We're giving away two copies of, of your book uh, through through the podcast and your publisher. Um, so, in in order to uh, to enter to win this, all you have to do is uh, just send send uh, send a DM either to to at the Browns Blitz or or to my uh, to my account at Clearod B. Um, if you're listening and you're not on Twitter, I guess you can send me an email. It's rod.bloom at gmail.com. And we'll, we'll take entries for, we'll let people listen to this for a few days, maybe through Friday or Saturday. And then we'll, we'll pick a couple winners and, um, and we'll get, we'll get books out to you. Sounds great. They make great Christmas presents. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. How do I enter that again, Rod? Just kidding. Um, all you gotta do is <laughs> send me a DM. That's what we'll get you on the list. <laughs> all right. So, um, so yeah. So we're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna talk Browns. But um, before we get into games and where the franchises and everything, um, Vince, we're gonna let you talk about your about your Browns fandom because that's that's what we let uh, that's what we let guests do on this show. So. Um, Whatever you'd like to share, you know, just kind of uh, your journey as a Browns fan. Uh, well, I, I I mention it in in the in the book. Uh, I grew up in Youngstown, and in the nineteen and and you know, it's always it's halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and there's always been this this uneasy truth truce. I can remember one of my friends from Pittsburgh saw pictures of uh of a bar the the draft house in beautiful downtown youngstown as seen on a and e city confidential and there was brown's gear on one wall and steelers gear on the other and and he says what what the hell kind of place is this so i what i'm saying is is you know it could have gone either way and in the 1980s there was a pocket of 49er fans too because uh the bartlow's own then is now own own the team uh, actually, at one point, you could go out to the Bartlow headquarters in Boardman and see uh, five Lombardi trophies and I think two replica Stanley Cups from uh, when they owned the Penguins when they won their first two Stanley Cups in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But um, 
you know, Bernie Kozar was was a local guy, and he he tipped uh, he tipped the odds in in the Browns' favor for me. And and you know, it's not like my father's a Browns fan. He might be the only Bengals fan in Trumbull County. Uh, he was actually one of those guys who um, was around when Art Modell fought, fired Paul Brown, and and uh, he was definitely uh, Team Brown and not Team Modell. So yeah. uh, when Paul Brown started the team in Cincinnati, that's that's kind of where my father's loyalties went. Um, you know, I uh, grew up a Browns fan, and God damn it, they didn't make it easy, and God damn it, they still don't make it easy. And uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I was I was in college when they when they announced the move. Uh, I was in college at Bowling Green, which is where the Browns actually got uh, their colors. They actually hosted. This is this is one of those wonderful historical oddities. Bowling Green has been the training camp for three different NFL teams. Uh, it was a training camp for the Rams when they were in Cleveland. It was a training camp for the Browns before they went to Hiram. Mm -hmm. And for one year in the late 60s, early 70s, they were actually the training camp for the New Orleans Saints. Now, how the hell the New Orleans Saints ended up in Bowling Green, Ohio? I have no idea, but they did. Mm. And... Um, it's the hot Browns down there moved. in the bayou in the summer. I guess, I guess. so. The, the Browns moved when, when I was in college, which was great because I could spend my Sundays hungover and, uh, you know, catching up on all my homework, uh, or sometimes both. Um, watched the Lions a little bit, which really felt like a lateral move as a Browns fan. And uh, <laughs> then, uh, you know, kind of kind of tried to uh, bear it as best I could. I was in Pittsburgh for a little while. I was in uh, Northwest Ohio for a little while. The last 10 years or so, I've been I've been in the Cleveland area. And uh, again, the Browns just don't make it easy. They do not. They do not. All right. Good stuff, Vince. Let's uh, let's move on to to the Browns and We'll talk a little bit about this game Sunday, uh, this past Sunday against the Dolphins. Uh, if you oh, want to I haven't it, had enough to drink to do this. Yeah, to call it a game, I guess, is a bit of a stretch. But um, yeah, Browns uh, Browns sit at three and six after this loss, um, thirty nine to seventeen. Um, what's uh, what you call a good old fashioned butt weapon, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. um, Dolphins moved to seven and three, and. After the first drive where the Browns scored, um, just not much went right. Um, Dolphins kind of could do anything they wanted, and it just really wasn't fun to watch, guys. It really wasn't. Um, and that's tr why I tried not to watch too much of it. I had just enough going on around the house that, uh, you know, I would check in on the score on occasion. I'm going... And and actually, what it what it kind of reminded me of was another game that I didn't watch too much of as it was happening was that that opener in 2019 against the Titans. It was the same thing. I mean, the Browns came out, opened the game with a picture perfect drive, scored, looked like everything that that we thought was going to happen could happen, and then none of it did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when. Uh... When the Dolphins rush for, yeah, I don't have their total here, but I mean, they're, uh, Jeff Wilson ran for 119 yards and Raheem Mostert ran for 65 yards. I mean, the, 
I'm sure they outrushed us 195 to 112, Rod. Yeah, yeah. Nick Chubb had had 11 carries. Um, and that's that's one of those things that's amazing yeah. because the the scouting report on the Dolphins coming in was, you know, Tua is is coming into his own. He's he's got uh, uh, pinpoint accuracy. He's got these these great wide receivers to uh, throw to, and they were fairly they were held in check fairly well. But you know the the yeah. Dolphins ended up running all over the Browns, and I think that's you know one of the problems that's that the Browns have had all year is um, you know they they just haven't been able to do what they uh, wanted to do, and and really what I think we all thought they could do uh, up front on the defensive line. Well, I, I think I think ahead, Bill Belichick really exposed us about four weeks ago. Um, that, you know, the, the simple formula to beat the Browns is you stop our running game. Um, you know, if, if we can't run and the other team can, because, you know, obviously everybody knows that we have nothing in the middle of the field to stop the run. You know, it's very easy to run between the tackles against us. So um, stop our running game, run against us, and that's the, that's the formula for beating the Browns. You, you, you put us in a hole early. And we're just not the kind of offense that can play from behind. And right. the, the, really the most shocking thing to me about, you know, the, this whole sequence of events is that uh, last week or, or prior to the bye, when we went, you know, to the, to the Bengals game, that, that the Bengals didn't do that. Um, you know, they, they obviously have to be the stupidest team in football to not do that against us and, and let us put together a complete game. So that's you probably know, the one silver lining in this whole thing. One of one of my friends is is deeply unimpressed with the Bengals coach, and he said Joe Burrow is going to be um, Andrew Luck to his Chuck Pagano. You're going to have such a right. yeah generational talent that you're not going to notice how dense he really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, the Dolphins ran the ball well. Tua was throwing the ball. Uh, I mean, he was hitting he was hitting his spots perfectly. You know, he was twenty five of thirty two. He only threw for two hundred eighty five yards. You know, it's I mean, it's not like it's a real low total, but you know, um, you know, he, he, he could have thrown for more. Okay, mm-hmm. um, at three touchdowns. I, I think they just they chose to run the ball because they could, and it was easy. You know, but if they had mm-hmm. to, I think they could. They could have passed for a lot more the way he was throwing oh, yeah. the football. Um, it's, it's just the way they decided to beat the Browns. It's like, okay, which way do you guys want it? Because we can beat you either way today. Um, I said on the podcast last week, Rod, that you know we were going to play a lot of zone defense against them, which we did. We played incredibly soft defense. Um, we pretty much decided we were going to let them run the ball, throw the ball, and then try to stop them when it came down to the red zone. Um, which obviously that didn't work either. You know? So um, yeah. I don't think anybody was surprised by, by how we played defense. Just the, you know, the, the fact that the, the, the effort was so poor. Um, I mean, Miles Garrett um, and, and uh, Jadavian Clowney um, barely outperformed Roderick Perry in that game and he got cut. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I agree. I mean, the Browns held, uh, you know, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill to, to nine catches for 110 yards. Um, 
you know, but but um, you know the Dolphins had what four or five guys with with four or five catches and similar yardage, and it just added up. And you know, two was just hitting his guys, and there were just numerous players on the Browns defense. You could see where it appeared that effort was was an issue. Um, I mean, it was so ridiculous that on on the one play, Tua was falling down and he threw this rainbow toward the sideline and it came down. I don't remember who the guy was that caught it, but I think it was Greg Newsom was like 20 yards off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, as a defense, I want to say it was Tyreek yeah. Hill, but I'm not sure on that one for sure. It no, might've been. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, you know, as a defense, when you're, when you're behind in a game like that, um, you have to be taking some chances. You have to be letting your players who you're paying a ton of money to, to create turnovers and create impactful plays. You have to at least give them a chance to do that. And to me, that was the biggest disappointment in this whole game is that we didn't give our defensive stars a chance to make any kind of play or make, create any kind of of impact play. Um, Even after the game was a foregone conclusion, we were still dropping back in coverage. And I'm just yeah. sitting there going, what the hell are we doing? You know, I mean, when the Browns were third and six, they were sending the house at us. And and Jacoby was running for his life, you know, because that's that's how you attack third and long, right? But mm-hmm. but when when the Dolphins were third and long, third and six, okay, we're rushing four and we're dropping back in zone coverage and we're letting them complete passes for first downs. You know, I understand, like I said, going in, I, I knew that that was going to be the play, that they were going to play a lot of zone. But when you're down so much, why not take some chances? What do you have to lose at that point? You know, it, it was just very discouraging to see all of those defensive players just looking like they were playing in quicksand. I agree. I agree. And it just seemed so much different from the Bengals game. Uh, when it seemed like guys were out there making plays, uh, you know, it's just hard to watch. Uh, it seemed like they were uh, applying a lot more pressure to Joe Burrow, you know, and that's in that game against Cincinnati. And, right. They uh, were bringing it from different places. They were being creative, yeah. um, you know. And, you know, if, if I'm Miles Garrett, I'm sitting there going, okay, this, we're in third and long again, and we're, we're, we're rushing four. OK, um, and I'm, I know I'm going to be double teamed. You know, we, we complain all the time about about Miles being held. But I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, when, oh, yeah. when <laughs> you know, when when there's really nobody else who's a threat on the defensive line and, and you've got that extra lineman anyway. Right. So why would you use that lineman somewhere else? You know, why would you keep somebody in to chip? I mean, when five guys can stop for that easily and we're not going to send pressure from anywhere else. Okay, it's it's a pretty straightforward approach for the offense, which, Jesus, that's sad. Yeah. So so Vince, where are you on the whole uh, the whole bag of issues with the defense? Uh, defense being too passive. Um, you know, Joe Woods, the job he's doing, the, uh, the players uh, appearing to be dogging it. Uh, you know, where's the responsibility? What needs to happen uh, to to try to right the ship at some point? Well, 
you know, it, it, it all comes down to, um, you know, the, the elements of really any, any kind of, uh, of football team are talent and technique. And, and I feel like the Browns have enough talent. Actually, I feel like they have enough talent on both sides of the ball to, uh, that, 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 but they are, are underachieving. And I think that is, is a reflection of, of technique. And I feel like at the end of the day, that is a reflection of coaching. Um, the thing about the NFL is that uh, a team will always uh, blunder into a loss. It has no business losing. A team will always blunder into a win. It has no business winning. And, and that happens. And I think part of it is, you know, the Browns have been on the end uh, too often this year of uh, uh, a team uh, blundering into losses more than they have blundered into wins. And, and I feel like there are a lot of, of issues. Um, you know, I, I think there are some some talented talent deficiencies. I think the, the, the most glaring one is a lack of, of solid defensive tackles. Like you said, I mean, teams are, are being able to do uh, whatever they want between the tackles uh, to yeah. the Browns. And, but I, I feel like also, I mean, there are some, you know, issues of, of techniques and, and strategy that are, you know, not being um, fully executed. And I think that falls on the, uh, on the shoulders of the coaching staff. But, you know, I was actually just having this conversation today. You know, let's say... Uh, that they they decide that's it we're making a change Joe Woods is out and uh, they let's say they do that tomorrow just just for sake of argument I mean who do you bring in who's an improvement I mean you're either going to elevate somebody from a coaching staff that we have already established is kind of uh, has been kind of deficient or you find somebody who hasn't been able to find a job in the NFL this season already you know, unfortunately, right. there's no workable, immediate solution to this other than, you know, somebody <clears throat> taking a magic pill and everything getting better. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, might be hard to find the right candidate right now. Um, but uh, let's get your thoughts, Jeff, because, you know, I kind of wonder about this. It's tough to change coaches in the middle of the season, but when you're when you're sitting at three and six, um, kind of staring three and three and seven in the face, headed headed to Buffalo um, next week because um, we'll talk about that game. But those guys are not going to be happy after that game against the Vikings. Um, okay. You know, you just wonder if if uh, if you could find the right guy um, or somebody you know you think might be might be a solid defensive coordinator. If, if you're better off trying to get things going the rest of the season versus versus starting it, you know, at the beginning of next season. So um, I kind of see it both ways, but but definitely um, I agree what Vince is saying as far as uh, being able to find a suitable candidate. Yeah, I think it's a hard task to to replace a coordinator midseason, um, particularly if you're doing it for the reason that, that you know, his unit's underperforming and your best option is to elevate somebody on his staff. I mean, that to me, that doesn't really move the needle. No. So I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of, of mid season changes like that. I think you, you do that evaluation at the end of the season. Um, and then you go out and you find, you know, candidates and then go through the interviewing and hiring process. Um, you know, 
there are measuring sticks though, as you go through the season. And, and, you know, if, if I'm the owner or, or, you know, the general manager and I'm, I'm evaluating people at the end of the season, um, you know, that, that Patriots game is one of those, you know, open book tests, right. That you look at and you go, okay, what went wrong there? And can we, can we write that off to an anomaly? You know, is that, is that the kind of thing that happens occasionally in the NFL? Well, this week was really one of those measuring sticks because you're coming off of what I thought were two really good performances by the Browns defense. And, you know, now you're, now you're coming into an environment where you know exactly how they're going to test you. You've got a bye week to prepare for it. Um, you've got a bunch of guys getting healthy. Um, and you go out and you lay your second egg of the year. Um, that is, that's one of those red flag moments where, you know, in an evaluation you say, okay, what, what went wrong here? You know, and, and who do we really, you know, pin this on? Um, and to me, I, I've, I've defended Joe Woods all season. Um, I've put a large amount of the blame on the players to this point for not executing. Um, but it's really obvious to me at this point that, that Joe Woods is not putting our star players in a position to succeed. That's, that, to me, is the key takeaway from this game. Okay, If, if, if you can't get some pressure on Tua from arguably the two best defensive ends in the league, and if you can't get some press coverage on their receivers with, with all the skilled defensive backs that we have, um, after thinking about it for days, um, yeah. then, there's, then there's definitely something wrong uh, at the leadership level. And I think what we're going to find is, is that when we get to the offseason, we're going to have to do some retooling on that defense. Um, sure, we're, we're, we're really thin at, at defensive tackle. We're really thin at linebacker. We've had questions at safety all year long. So up the middle, we, we've got some real real issues. Uh, but I have a hard time believing that, that the, the Maliks last year were that much better than what we're playing this year at D-tackle. And we were the number five defense last year. So yeah. Yeah. what what is going on in that locker room that, that these guys just aren't executing the way they did last year. I mean, losing Anthony Walker, I thought was a big deal. You know, he was kind of the glue, but, but man, just for as many guys to be out of position and pointing fingers at each other and looking at each other and shrugging their shoulders after plays, um, it's just a hot mess. And that's not something that a defensive coordinator can survive, even in a reset year. Okay, I mean, we know now that this is a reset year, but you still have to be thinking about what happened to our number five defense that was supposed to be the strength of our team this year, and how do we fix that going into next year when we really want to start contending? And that's the the, the really hard part is, you know, I think a reset year was the fear at the beginning of the year, but I, I feel like they there were a lot of people who thought you could hang your hat on this defense. And yep. if Brissett did 
a competent, passable job, then, you know, he could hold down the fort for the first 11 weeks. And uh, Deshaun Watson would come back and, and he is, I mean, you know, they did what they did because they think he's going to be the franchise quarterback. And now mm-hmm. we're at a point where Brissett has, in my estimation, more than held up his end of the bargain. I mean, he's done no question. what's been asked of him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the defense has been, you know, kind of lacking. And and the problem I think you're really going to see into the offseason is, you know, yeah, you may need to get more. And, and defensive players, uh, you have to grow your own. I mean, that's that more than, you know, offensive skill positions is where you really have to hit in the draft. And, I mean, the Browns don't have a first-round pick next year. And, I mean, if they if the NFL draft was held based on today's standings, uh, the the Texans would get the ninth overall pick from uh, from the Browns, and you know so I don't know what's what's going to make uh, what's going to make everything better. I don't know what's going to make anything better. Yeah, so so there's the issues we've already talked about on defense, and then and then we have these uh, these discipline issues that keep popping up. Uh, Grant Delpit, Perry, and Winfrey, and, and now Perry and Winfrey kind of brought some. Almost seems like he brought some of the stuff to town. So maybe, you know, maybe yeah. that's a little bit different. But uh, Grant Delpit was disciplined. You know, didn't get to start the game. Um, it, there's been a lot of, of uh, highlights of uh, John Johnson kind of looking like he's taking plays off and not looking like he wants contact on on some plays and that. And then he's he's calling guys out. Um, I just wonder what you guys think, you know, is this is this frustration with the defense that's being called? Um, You know, is this guy's do you guys feel like some of the guys out there on defense are are almost trying to get Joe Woods out of there. Um, or they're just quitting on the team or, or, or is it something else? Um, I just, I just don't know. Um, or, or do you think that guys just kind of, uh, take plays off occasionally in, in the NFL? <laughs> no, I, think? I think it, it feels like a mutiny to me. To, to get Joe Woods out. Yeah, I, I think it feels like a mutiny. I think that, you know, that there's enough talent, like Vince said back there, that, that these guys should be playing better. And yeah. and the fact that they're not and, and you know, appearing to um, lollygag on plays and things like that just, just tells yeah. me that, yeah, you know, they're, they're not happy with the situation. And they think that the way to change it is by underperforming. And to me, I, I, I have a really hard time believing that professional athletes would act that way. I guess that's why yeah. I've, I've defended this for so long and said, you know, guys, just go out and do what you're asked to do. Um, right. But, you know, when you get to the point where you start questioning guys' professionalism and you start, you start wondering about guys taking plays off, um, that's, that's, beyond just a, a losing culture issue that's that's mutiny in the clubhouse and you don't come back from that as, as coaches or players and there's there's going to be heads rolling as a result if, if that's what we're really looking at yeah how, how do you bring play, players back under a different defensive coordinator 
You know, no, you don't just expect that they're going to, oh, well, I like this guy. I'll play hard for him. <laughs> no, no, that, that's not going to work. <laughs> so these guys are, you know, some of them are trying to get the D.C., you know, canned, but they're they're working their way out of town, too, is what's happening. Right. And maybe out of the league. So, yeah, that could be. That could be. So, so Vince, the uh, the rest of the season, that you know, the way the way it's looking, um, you know, we we've got what um, two more games of, of uh, um, two more games before Sean Watson comes back. It, it appears that this is just going to kind of be a try, not not really a tryout, but just kind of practice for him. Um, is that kind of what you expect? Rest of the season, just kind of a tune-up. I mean, you know, I, that's again, that's not the kind of thing that that was was expected at the uh, beginning of the year. But uh, it looks like that's that's kind of what it is. I mean, you know, the the phrase that I had heard was, uh, "It's going to be an audition for a lot of people. It's not going to be an audition for Deshaun Watson. I think it's going to be him, you know, kind of rounding back into shape because they yeah. gave him the largest." guaranteed contract in the history of the league so you know whether or not they want him they're stuck with him for the next few years right uh so i mean they're gonna they're gonna hang on to him but you know i i feel like you know you got to consider um how much of a, a tryout this is for uh for the players on defense how much of this is you know can joe wood save his job and and unfortunately i mean it's it's at a point where you know, there aren't a whole lot of, of games on the schedule that I can look at and say, boy, I think the Browns have more than a puncher's chance, uh, especially because the games where I do think they have it more than a puncher's chance, last three of the seasons, Saints, uh, Commanders, and the Steelers, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how checked out everybody's going to be. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like your best case scenario at this point is is like uh, Mangini's first year when the Browns kind of caught fire and won their last four or five games. And I don't know if that's because everybody bought into it or everybody realized just how screwed they were, but that's that's kind of the best case scenario at this point. Yeah, well, I, I it, think the last six games are going to be a referendum on the head coach. You know, we're we're talking about the defensive coordinator right now. Uh, mm-hmm. and can he survive? Okay. And, and, and I mean, my feeling at this point now is, is that, that that's a foregone conclusion. Um, but once we get to the point of, of evaluating players and, and thinking about what we're going to do next year, um, if, if we are not seeing 100% effort from all of those guys trying to make the team in those last few games, then that's a referendum on the head coach. And, and we, we better see guys busting their balls to make this team the last five or six games, or we will be hitting that reset button. Well, I, you know, I feel like Stefanski's got a little bit of a longer leash because don't forget, he's the guy calling the offensive plays. And again, I mean, he is not doing poorly as an offensive play caller with Jacoby Brissett. And, and in fact, I would mm-hmm. argue that he, got all he could get as a head coach out of Baker Mayfield as well. I mean, look at what's going on in Carolina right now. I mean, the, 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 you know, I was one of those people admittedly who, who wasn't quite sure last year 
how much of uh, Baker's uh, problems were related to him hitting his ceiling and mm-hmm. how much of that was the effects of, uh, of his shoulder injury. And I, I feel like it is, it is obvious at this point that he kind of hit his ceiling. And uh, in retrospect, what Stefanski did with him was, was really good. And what Stefanski is doing with Brissett is really good. And I mean, you know, if, if he, if the defense is, is littered with malcontents, I'm sure he deserves some of the blame, but I mean, does he deserve enough that um, they're going to throw him over the side at the end of the year? Because again, I mean, I, I really feel like if, if Stefanski is going to get fired after this year, the Browns have to lose out from here on in. I mean, you know, that's that's probably the only circumstance where I would uh, see that happening because uh, I feel like the Haslam's have reached their limit of being really quick on the draw just because, I mean, I think they're still paying Hugh uh, and Freddie. Probably. <laughs> probably so. Um, and bear with me here for a second because I, I kind of see – a little parallel between uh, between Baker and, and Joe Woods is that with with Baker and and I know he started out hot, had a good rookie year and everything, but he had that that uh, you know half a season stretch um, you know where before the injury where he played really well and and we you know at least I kind of thought that that's what he was capable of and this is what we were probably going to get if he was healthy for a full season. And and then he got hurt the next season, and like you're saying, you didn't you didn't know if it was ceiling, if it was injury related, or what. Well, we got we got several games last season of, of really good Joe Woods. You know, once the defense started playing well, and now this season, it, it's it's kind of it's been kind of hit or miss, uh, a lot more miss than hit, and you're you're kind of questioning. You know, did what we, you know, was what we saw last season, you know, is that what he's capable of? Um, are the players no longer buying it? Is he already, you know, gone, you know, gone down below what he's going to be able to get out of these guys or what? Yeah, you know, there's no question that Kevin Stefanski can lead an offense. There's no question that he can get maximum out of journeyman quarterbacks i think he deserves the opportunity to coach up a top quarterback in this league um so from that perspective i want him to continue um but what i was referring to before is if if i'm the gm and i'm reviewing people at the end of the year Okay, the question is not can can Kevin Stefanski lead an offense, it's can Kevin Stefanski lead a football team. And if you've got no. players not running through the finish line this year, that's on him. Yeah. That's what we need to see. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Um and, and I I mean, I like Stefanski. I wanted to see continuity with this team because I think it's, you know, how you actually get someplace in the league typically. I agree. Coaches but, grow just like players. Yeah, but, I mean, but, yeah, you, you still have to look at what's actually happening with the team. So I think you, you, you do have to evaluate. So so if they do evaluate at the end of the season, um, you know, not saying, not saying Stefanski's going anywhere. Um, you know, I would think Joe Wood's, 
you know, that's a pretty good shot. He probably is. But um, if so, um, Vince, what's how attractive is this Cleveland job for a defensive coordinator and or a head coach if the, if those openings come up? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, uh, part of it is that's one of those things that you grade on a curve because it depends on who else is going to be looking for uh, a head coach or, or defensive coordinator. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like the job is less poisonous than it was, uh, let's say, uh, when the Browns hired Mike Pettin or, you know, when the Browns hired, you know, um, Freddie Kitchens or when they were looking for somebody after Freddie Kitchens. But I still think that, you know, there is an element of radioactivity to it because uh, the, the Haslam's are really quick on the draw. Although I don't know about you, if I had a job where I coached for two years and got paid for five, I'd view that as a selling point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, again, I, I'm not sure how much talent they have. I'm not sure how much talent they're going to keep. I mean, we were sold the idea that the, the Deshaun Watson was the last piece. I mean, this mm-hmm. was a team that was poised to contend and contend now. And that all that was needed was a franchise quarterback. And, and, and I will admit Deshaun Watson is an upgrade between the lines uh, over Baker Mayfield. But, you know, it's not that cut and dried. Uh, but, you know, it is obvious that this is a team that is not, um, that is not as uh, close to contention as everybody had hoped. The, the other main problem with this job, which is why, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of churn, is because of the way it's organized. I mean, when you think about it, you know, most of the, the uh, Browns coaches under the, uh, under the Haslam regime, uh, it's been a shotgun marriage between coaches and general managers, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I mean, the last time we had everybody on the same page ostensibly is when John Dorsey hired Freddie kitchens and we all saw how that turned out. Hmm. But, uh, I mean, you know, if uh, I, I feel like Barry and Stefanski can work together as a team, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure who who uh, Andrew Barry would bring in as the uh, as the next coach if if it got down to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm pulling for Kevin Stefanski just because I, I agree with what Jeff said. I would like to see him with, uh, you know, with Sean Watson first season, but. You don't know how the evaluations are going to go. Um, I, I guess. I guess we'll see. But uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about this Bills uh, matchup, and then we'll um, and then we'll give some score predictions, guys. So, uh, and did you guys see the Bills Vikings game? Just the tail end. Yeah, I was well, going to say I, I, I. You saw the game then, because I watched like the <laughs> last two minutes, and that's really all you need to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was that was incredible. I mean, I, I felt like I watched a whole football game, and I think I watched the last two or three minutes of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was exciting. Um, you know, just back and forth, and just stuff happening throughout. Uh, just, just absolutely incredible. But the Bills have to be just beside themselves that they lost that game. So, um, I think they're. I think they were going to be ready for. 
for the Browns or anybody who they're playing next after that game. That's kind of kind of my view on this. Um, I don't know. I mean, Josh Allen played in that game. I thought that you know he's he's been battling an injury, but um, you know if he played in that game, I assume he's playing next week too. So, um, yeah. you, do no, you guys do you guys see any uh, any hope any hope in winning this game? <laughs> I mean, in the sense that on any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team. Yes. Right. Do I actually think that's going to happen? You know, it's like Damon Runyon said, the race doesn't always go to the swift nor the contest to the strong, but that's how you bet. Yeah. 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 Well, there is, uh, I guess there's the weather forecast is for like two feet of snow. in Buffalo Yeah, it's, it's supposed so. to be. I mean, I don't know where you guys are, but I'm over here on the west side, which means we're probably going to get like a dusting. Uh, it sounds like there's going to be a few inches going into uh, Lake and Geauga County, and then there's going to be a few inches as you, more as you get into Erie, and then you know there's a few inches more <laughs> as you get into like Buffalo. Yeah, but yeah, it sounds like it's there's going to be just a ton of snow. That, that could be an equalizer. You never know. You know, I don't know if that works to the Browns' favor. I mean, I guess if if they wear the right shoes and and run the ball well, you know, it it, it, it could help them out potentially. But uh, yeah, I, you know what, right? If 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 I felt good about our running game, I'd say maybe that's an edge for us. But based on the egg we just laid down in Miami, um, you feel our, better our about the getting, Bills' running game. Our tackles are getting killed right now um yeah we we can't open anything i mean if you look at what what nick chubb did in that game against miami he had a long rush of 33 yards okay so take that out on his other 10 rushes he averaged three yards per carry yeah okay no he didn't have anything he's he's bouncing off blockers okay um so yeah in in terms of thinking that you know we can suddenly refine our running game in a in a horrible weather situation so that we don't have to make Jacoby throw the ball. Um, Jeez, I I just, I don't feel real good about that. And I think the bills are the kind of team that, that goes out there every week expecting to win and, you know, losing to the Vikings like they did is just one of those things that you chalk up and you say, like Vince said, any given Sunday, crazy things happen and, you know, you lose a game, you're supposed to win, right? But they're going to be fully prepared to come out and, and whip our ass. <laughs> and that, uh, that Bill's defensive line is pretty good. So, yeah, probably not going to be easy to run on regardless of the weather. So, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you definitely there. Um, I, 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 honestly, guys, I don't know what else to say about this game. It, this is a game when the schedule came out, I kind of circled it and said, you know, Browns loss. going to Buffalo. It's probably right. going to be a loss. I mean, it's yeah. just, yeah. you know, it's a game that you're like, oh, maybe if the Browns are playing really well and their defense is playing really well, maybe they could go in there and, you know, and 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 do well. But, uh, you know, it surprised people. But if the way they had things played are going in right Miami, now, if they had played in Miami, like, they did the two previous games um i would have given them as vince said a puncher's chance you know let's let's see if we can't run the ball and keep josh allen off the field right um but man this team's just been exposed it's been exposed for what it is you know a team that that just can't shift gears when the running game doesn't work yeah yeah well bills are a nine and a half point favorite 
that all? That's it. Well, I mean, I think that's probably what they opened as. I don't know. Well, you got to remember too. League high. It's uh, very rarely. I mean, you'll watch, you'll see college games all the time. uh, That that you'll see teams that are twenty, thirty point favorites. But I mean, it is very rare to see an NFL point spread that's double digits. Yeah, nothing more than seven on any given week. Yeah, you're right. So nine nine and a half is a big spread. (laughs) Yes. Um, it is. I was rather um, tongue in cheek when I said, "Is that all?" Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, um, the other thing too is that um, you know a lot of people uh, interpret a point spread as you know this team is that much better than the other team, and what a point spread really is is you know something that that uh, uh, is used to equalize betting on both teams. You know, that's that's. I'm actually working on a piece on. Um, sports betting coming to Ohio for Cleveland magazine. Cause you know, we're going to get that starting on January 1st. And that's, you know, one of the things that, that a lot of people don't get about point spreads. The, the goal, if you're making book is to have equal bets on each team. Right. And, and the point yeah. spread is, is what does that. Yeah. At least theoretically. So yeah, I'm so, told. So the same <laughs> would be true with the over and the under is to get people to equally go over and under, even though Jeff almost always takes the over. Um, right. The over under. Well, that means f- there's probably somebody else out there that always takes the under. Yeah, you're probably right. So right. over under is 47 yeah. for this game. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, you guys ready to give some predictions? We sure. events. That's we let the we let the guests go first, and and um, there was no winner last week because um, nobody nobody picked the Dolphins to spank the Browns. So so we're not going to give a winner, uh, which means so far um, Jeff and I are winless on the season. So so you have a good chance of winning this. All right, give me the uh, give me the Bills twenty eight fourteen. They'll cover and the, and it'll hit the uh, and that hits the under, right? You said the over under was forty seven. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're at the under. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Give me that again. Bills twenty eight fourteen. Yep. Twenty eight fourteen. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna shock everybody with this. Um. I'm gonna take the under also. Because I don't think. A lot's going to happen in these weather conditions, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go Bills 24 to six. The Browns are going to get one touchdown and miss the extra point. I don't think there's going to be a kick made in this game. <laughs> well, yeah, that, the, that, uh, I mean that's more possible. than plausible. Yeah, that, that is. Um, I, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm I'm going with the Bills too. I'm just going to say uh, um, Bills, Bills twenty six, Browns, uh, Browns. I'll go. I, I think the Browns. I think the Browns are going to make a kick. I'm going to give the Browns. Uh, maybe they'll make. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go ten points. I'm not going to say how they'll get the ten. <laughs> <laughs> it may be. It may be a touchdown, a two point conversion, and a safety. You never know. So, anyways, yeah, um, yeah, I, I would, I, I'm, I'm giving that score because of the weather too. Um, yep. Same thing. I just, I think the Bills are gonna, um, you know, have their way pretty much, but uh, Browns might get a, might get a touchdown. 
we'll, we'll see. So, anyways, there you have it. Um, I don't, I do not pick against the Browns very often. I don't think Jeff does either. Um, but uh, first time this year, first time this year, and yeah, I, I think I've picked against them probably one time, one other time, and and the two or three seasons we've been doing this, but uh, um, I don't know how, how anybody can have a real good feeling going into this game for the Browns' chances. So, right. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why we're going to go see uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra on Sunday. There you go. Great nice. show. Nice. Yeah. yeah I, would, I have never seen them, and I would love to. So, um, someday. Mm-hmm. We saw uh, we we saw the uh, uh, we saw them for the first time last year at uh, at the Fieldhouse, and this year we're going to go see him uh, uh, with my parents in Youngstown. Nice, nice, very nice. nice. All right, guys, let's um, let's get some closing thoughts. So so Vince, I'll, I'll uh, give you the floor here. I'll let you give some closing thoughts and uh, maybe give your information one more time where people can can find, I would say, the book. But you actually have three books people can check out um, and uh, where they can uh, give your uh, give your Twitter handle once again so people can uh, get the information for the signings and all that. And um, everybody who's listening, don't forget to uh, to send a dm or an email and and enter and we'll uh and we'll get uh we'll have two winners for copies of the book uh I, yeah i'm vince guerrieri uh at vince guerrieri on twitter uh i'm real uh easy to find vince i have a website a uh, new book is weird moments in cleveland sports uh out through gray publishing uh, grayco.com g-r-a-y-c-o dot com uh, I wrote a book about the Fremont Ross and Sandusky High School football rivalry and I wrote Ohio Sports Trivia uh, for a uh, Lone Pine Press in 2011 but uh, the new book is Weird Moments in Cleveland Sports uh, I have the ring endorsement from Rod it's a great bathroom read and um, yeah that's what I got yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent read. You guys should pick it up. And um, Jeff, closing thoughts. Yeah, I look forward to reading that book, Vince, five minutes at a time. And um, I guess the only thing I can say, Rod, is that you and I have been wrong in our picks every week so far. So hopefully we're completely wrong again this week. And that may be the best thing that the Browns have going for them going into this game. <laughs> well, that would just figure, wouldn't it? Right. Right. Excellent. Well, this has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time.